You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like Him. Well, welcome back, Dan, to Fireside Chat. You are not a stranger to this, um, <laughs> yep. which is great. Uh, I think most students probably know you or have listened to the Fireside Chat. And if you haven't, go and listen to the Fireside Chat. That'll tell you all about Dan. Uh, but we're going to be thinking about and talking about something quite different today. Uh, but before we do that, it's always good to kind of get to know our staff a little bit more. So, Dan, what's, um, what's a highlight from Focus maybe this semester? Oh, yeah, lots of encouraging things have happened at Focus this semester. But, you know, if someone asks me a highlight in ministry and someone has become a Christian recently, that, that always has to be my highlight. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I won't tell all of his story. That would be his story to tell. But basically, we've had a, a lovely young guy from mainland China who's been coming along to focus he actually told me he came like four or five years ago for just for a, a couple of weeks and then for whatever reason left but then he returned again maybe two years ago and has been coming non-stop since then and he's been uh, yeah just really thinking hard reading lots of scripture learning about jesus and uh yeah, I think he's just fallen in love with Christ and uh, gave his life to Jesus probably a month ago, maybe six weeks ago. Mm. So that's been super exciting. And you know how the new Christian is just on fire and... Full of energy. Full of energy, full of joy, just so excited. So it's just lovely to see that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, coming out of the, the realm of student ministry mm. into personal life, yeah. what's, uh, what's one book that you're reading at the moment? So um, every now and then I get a chance to preach at different churches around the way. And there's one particular church and there's this older gentleman. I think he must be in his 80s or 90s. He loves books and uh, he's always trying to give me books, basically. Uh, and recently I was there and he, he shoved a book in my hand and said, you can have this as long as you read it. And so I went, okay, all right, I'll, I'll read it. It's called Warriors of Ethiopia. And it's um, kind of missionary stories, missionary reflections from an Aussie missionary who was in Ethiopia. I'm thinking it must have been in the 1970s, not 1980s, so so like a while ago. One of the things beautiful about the book is the Misho has told me almost no stories of him and his ministry. He's singing the praises of the local Ethiopian evangelists and their stories and what they did. So like it's all the spotlight's not on him at all, which is really lovely. And kind of my takeaway message has just been these Ethiopian Christians are so willing to suffer for the gospel if, if that's what it takes. But then one thing they're not going to do is, is shut up and be quiet about Jesus. Mm. And so they're going into some like tribes where they're like, um, like this is 1970s, not that long ago, but apparently there are some tribes that were completely unreached there who were not exclusively cannibals, but were quite happy to be cannibals and had this whole worldview of, you know, if you kill someone and drink their blood or even eat part of their body, you will get their knowledge, their skill, their power, their strength, like really dark stuff. And so obviously to go and be an evangelist in that area is taking your life in your hands. But these Ethiopians are just like, no, no, well, they need to hear about Jesus. So off we go. 
Some of them get killed. Others see people come to Christ. There's people being thrown into jail and beaten up. And, you know, here I am in Melbourne reading this book <laughs> while sipping my, oh, yeah. my flat white. And I just, it was a good reminder that um, a lot of Christians around the world suffer a lot yeah. for the faith. And so if I'm looked at a bit funny or... Or someone kind of raises their eyebrow at me or go, oh, wow, you, read, you believe that book written mm. 2,000 years ago. Like, big deal, really. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have suffered a lot more. Mm. Yeah, it's intriguing, isn't it, that uh, the gospel, I mean, being a Christian isn't necessarily a safe thing mm. in a lot of parts of the world. Yes. And actually, in a lot of parts of the world, yeah. Speaking the gospel is the primary aim and if that causes suffering, if that means that suddenly you're killed for your faith or whatever, people keep going remarkably. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. it's incredible. So a challenge and encouragement, yeah. So that's a bit random. It's not a book that was sitting on my like must-read list. Yeah. It's kind of just put in my hand, but it's been encouraging. Well, and it's an interesting with Ethiopia, particularly my parents were short-term missionaries in Ethiopia right. for a little while, right. um, that the gospel's been there for 2,000 years. right. Because we have met the Ethiopian coming along with Philip. Yeah. So the gospel's been in Ethiopia, that part of the world, for a very, very long time. Of course, that's true. Um, yeah. And there's quite a history of it, but there's a whole lot of other stuff going on there too. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating country. Yeah, wow. Cool. Well, maybe hit us up with something else. You said that that book's a little bit random. Is there anything else unusual about Dan that we might not know at first glance? Well, I think on the... When we did the uh, fireside chat, I think I talked about Dungeons and Dragons. You did, yeah, yeah. So um, this time, what should I talk about? Uh, I'll talk about computer games, I guess. So I, growing up, like I'm old enough that uh, I remember when personal computers, PCs, were, were just a thing that, that someone might have in their home and you knew families who were who got the first one. And so I've been gaming since <laughs> whenever games were existed. And I'm now at a lovely time where my kids are old enough and they're into games as well. Yeah. So um, I don't do it as much as I probably would like to, but yeah, on the weekend or something, we'll often fire up the Xbox or whatever. And it's interesting the sort of games that my kids are in. Cause I've got two sons and a daughter and they're into slightly different games and it's, and it's, like if we do anything like a first-person shooter or anything where reflexes are a thing, like my boys now who are 14 and 12 can just whip me. Mm, I just, yeah. I don't feel that old, but my reflexes are not what they used to be. Yeah, apparently like I think it's early 20s is the prime time for esports. Right. Like what, though reaction time games. Yes. When, yeah, your other types of games, you can be a bit older, but like the, with something like League of Legends or something, they drop off real quick after the mid, early 20s, Isn't mid-20s. Fascinating? So even then... Graduates, as you graduate university, you're already passing your peak time yeah, for yeah. sports. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so but yeah, if it's like a strategy game or something else, I can probably still keep my edge. But it's 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 a fun dynamic with the kids to just play together, and you know, you got games where you're competing against each other, games where you're working together. So yeah, lots of fun. Yeah, which one? Uh, what type of games does your daughter prefer if she has to choose? So her favorite game right now is a game called Unpacking. Get this. It's a, it's a game on the Xbox where you've moved into a home 
So you, you've got different rooms like bedroom, kitchen, <laughs> yeah. lounge room. There are boxes everywhere. <laughs> you click you on to... the box, it opens. You click on the box again and out comes like a knife block or your toaster or the T-shirts and you have to place it in the house neatly and in, the, in all the different rooms. When you've unpacked everything, if the game thinks it's not neat or orderly enough, it just won't let you progress. So you have to keep moving stuff around. It's very zen. Oh it's very calm. So you're nothing like a first-person shooter. When was the last time you guys moved house? Because it sounds like you need to do it again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She would be all over it. Yeah. Yeah, no, not since she was born, pretty much. Yeah. So, you know... Maybe it, it's her heart's cry for, I want to move house. That's maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. She, she, you know like she's, she wants a relaxing game. And so this is certainly it. But it's so funny because if the boys are watching her, like they want to watch because they want to watch screens. But if she's playing, they're like, this is so boring. Like, I don't... <laughs> yeah. But they still watch. <laughs> so, I'd be like that, I think, too. Yep. So check it out. Unpacking. Yeah. Sounds sounds great. <laughs> yeah, Not really. A, well, if, if it's your thing kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Uh, is her room as neat as unpacking? Oh, no. That's the irony. Is her room is a complete site of Lego and Shopkins and My Little Ponies. And there's just toys everywhere. And yet on the on the TV screen, she's got this neat, pristine house. Yeah. And as you got levels, you start off like a, a little girl in like parents' house, presumably. But then you're like a teenager. Then you're like the uni student who's moved out and they've got their first room in a share house. And then like you end up owning the whole house and it gets bigger and bigger. So, yep, there's progression. There's leveling up. But may not be your kind of game if you, if you need an, an adrenaline <laughs> yeah. hit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, cool. All right, well, we're going to get stuck into what we're talking about mostly today, which is we're going to think about for the next 25 minutes or so, cults. Mm. Um, yeah. How would, Dan, this is a, probably a tricky question to mm. start with, uh, but what? how would we define a cult? That's a good question. Um, and I'm sure... I'm sure somewhere someone's written a really good thing because we there's a few words we used interchangeably or, or at least they might overlap like on a Venn diagram, like a heresy or a sect or a cult. Um, they've, they've probably got overlap. Like by heresy, we mean something that um, is not teaching the truth from the Bible. It's got faulty doctrine, faulty gospel. A sect, I think we mean some sort of group group that has splintered off or separated itself um, from mainstream Christianity. Um, And we might have an example of that later on where they kind of might even say we're Christian and yet the way they talk about all the other Christian churches makes it clear that they think they're the only one and everyone else has got it wrong. That sounds like a sect. And often we, by cult, we probably just mean something similar. Yeah, yep. a, a, a pseudo-Christian group that might sound Christian but isn't really Christian because they've changed the fundamentals of the faith. And then I guess if you go really far down the end, you end up with like doomsday cults or, or you know, kind of really, really awful, sad stories of cults, you know, with some, you know, where they all end up committing suicide or some her- her- terrible story like that. So... Um, just when we call a group a cult, it doesn't necessarily mean they're, you know, they're a suicide pact or something, but it's, it's usually yeah, some, some group that has changed the fundamentals of the Christian faith and splintered themselves off. And often, it seems, has an, a whole other unhealthy dynamics that goes on there with the way they treat their people. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and I guess in thinking about this, there's lots of things we could do a podcast on. Mm. Why is this something that we think is important to talk about? Yeah, sure. Well, just as a big truth, um, anyone who wants to teach God's word cannot, must not only teach what's true, they also need to point out what's false. Uh, we need to be doing both of those things. And that's whether you're the pastor of the church or you're the leader of the small group and someone in your small group says something that sounds a bit funny. You know, there might be a whole conversation and nuance to have there. But as a general thing, uh, some of us who are a bit more gentle and we don't like conflict, we might think, oh, can I just teach what's true? If I just teach what's true, right, everyone will know what's true. But also there's a time to talk about what's false. Uh, another reason to talk about cults is that at university, uh, there are a lot of young people who are trying to make up their mind for the first time about what is true and what to follow. And sadly, some of these cults are really targeting those mm. young people. And for me, with, with the focus ministry, I've got one extra kind of uh, impulse, which is that um, these cults often target international students um, who might be here, they're, they're, they're lonely, they don't have their normal support networks. Uh, some of them are really keen to learn about God. And if they meet someone from one of these groups who says, look, I'm, we're Christian and we're running a Bible study, do you want to come along? Uh, that really upsets me because if they're not teaching the, the Bible as it actually is, but their own you know, mishmash of, of man-made doctrines, um, that's, it's really unfair and really harmful. And there's a lot of people out there who are caught in a cult or who have escaped a cult, but now who want nothing to do with God as a result. Mm. So it's really upsetting. Mm. And I guess most students, if they've done walk-up evangelism, have probably encountered a cult of some description. They may well have, um, yeah. That's what raised it for me is doing walk-up evangelism, chatting to that, but also chatting to a lot of the students that have done walk-up evangelism. Mm. And they've often encountered groups that would say they're Christians, but seem not quite to be what we'd call a Christian. Yes. Um, and there just seems something something a little bit fishy. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's helpful that we clarify and talk about that mm. so that we're all aware. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm. So let's let's get into that. We're going to go through a few cults. We, there's probably like a general list of cults that people know or most people know of in society, right? So you've got your Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes. Um, is that the same as Church of Latter-day Saints? No, the, the Church of Latter-day Saints is the Mormons. They're, oh, that's they're, Mormons, They're yep. the same one, yep. Um, are there any other kind of big common ones that you can think they of? They would be the main two we hear a lot about. There is also um, Christadelphians who, who, again, sound very Christian, but they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they don't believe in the Trinity. Um, so that would be a third one. Um, but yeah, we'll get in. So yeah, that it would be good. if you don't know about those ones, that would be good to actually research. Very easy, you know. Search online, TGC or something else would have uh, great resources. For anyone on that those. don't know, that's the Gospel Coalition. Just yeah, thank you. Yeah, Gospel Coalition. Uh, so th certainly good to know about those ones because those are the guys who may well knock on your door at home and want to have a chat. But I think particularly with the pandemic, COVID and everything, there's been some groups that have been reaching out online in a mm. way that we don't, haven't really seen Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons do. And they're kind of newish cults on the Australian scene, at least to, to my knowledge. And so I think a lot of us have been taken by surprise or have been kind of um, 
Some people have gotten involved with them without even knowing that they were getting involved in a cult. They just thought, oh, this is a really intense Bible study, but the people are really friendly and, and I'm kind of learning a lot. And, and they've gotten connected without even actually knowing, oh, th- this is a cult. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yes. And for, for lots of Christians, uh, the appeal is this is an intense Bible study, intense discipleship. Yeah, that that's right. So if yeah, if you've if you've come out maybe with no church background or a church that was a little bit light on or fuzzy or something, yeah, perhaps that intensity of Bible study, which might be one day a week and then it's three days a week, and then if you keep going, it could be like every night of the week, really overwhelming. But yeah, that could be quite attractive. If you're lonely, if you're an international student, come from overseas, you're looking for friends, you're looking for a new network. That could be the attraction. That the, the the study's kind of overwhelming, but gee, these people are really kind, and they're we're sharing meals together, and we hang out, and this is my network. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's get stuck into a few of the ones that we see more regularly on campus. Mm. Uh, so there's at least three that I'm aware of. Sure. Um, so maybe we'll just go through them, and you can tell us a bit about them. Um, so the first one is, I hope I pronounce this right, but Shinshoni. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Shin Shinchonji, Shinchonji, something like that. Uh, this is. Uh, uh, I, I should preface all this by saying I'm not necessarily an expert on all of these things. I've done some research, and so have you, Joel, enough to to kind of do this podcast. But there would be people who know more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Shinchonji, like a number of the more recent cults, has come out of South Korea for some reason. They became kind of notorious during COVID because when the South Korean government was saying, you know, we can't have these huge public gatherings because we want to stop the virus spreading, it was the Shincheonji cult that just ignored that and kept going. And there was a huge spike of cases. And I was reading that at one point, everyone who had COVID in South Korea, 60% of those cases could somehow be tracked back to a Shincheonji person who had not been doing what they were supposed yeah, to right. do. Yeah. So yeah, pretty notorious at that time. And a lot of people were saying, this is, this is awful, this is bad, just from a kind of COVID perspective. But a bit more about Shincheonji. It's only been around since 1984, uh, so not all that long. Uh, it started in South Korea, but it's since spread all around the world. Um, and at first, you know, if you met someone who, who was into this, they might just invite you in for a Bible study and all that teaching. It would only be later that you might learn that this cult actually believes that Jesus Christ has already returned to earth. And in fact, their leader of the cult is a guy called Lee Man Hee. Uh, he's a South Korean man, um, and he claims to be Jesus returned in the flesh. Hmm. Now, I think if someone told you that first, if you, if you were on campus and someone said, hey, do you want to follow Lee, man, he, he's Jesus returned in, and he's in South Korea, you know, the alarm bells might be ringing straight away. But of course, you know, these groups, these sects or cults, they're much more clever than that, right? They're not going to tell you their most outlandish claim first. Yeah. They're going to say something like, gee, the COVID years were really rough. I'm just looking for other Christians that I can read the Bible with and we could encourage each other mutually. Could we hang out and read the Bible together? And if you're a keen CU person, you might go, yeah, absolutely, I want to take the opportunity. Or other times they've said, "Um, hey, I've got a friend who's interested in Christianity, but I don't really feel like that equipped to teach the Bible to them. 
could me and my friend meet with you and we could read the Bible together, right? And you go into that thinking, oh, that, they're looking for me to lead this and, and bring what I know about the Bible, but actually it's the two of them who's going to be ganging up on you yeah, and, and try to twist you around. So, yeah, it can be quite deceptive. Um, so, yeah, that, this is their leader, uh, Lee Man He. Uh, it's a really fast-growing group. And like I said, in COVID, they were reaching out a lot on online, Instagram and other social media, just saying, I need support or I've got questions or could you read the Bible with me? Um, so that's how it normally starts. They invite you along um, and then you, inv- you meet more of their friends who are also part of the group. Um, but as it goes on, uh, it, it kind of gets more and more insidious. So it starts off with Bible studies once a week, three times a week. And it's only once you've made a lot of friends and are really kind of p- quite part of the group socially that they'll invite you to church, right? And that's really kind of different to what we would do, right? We'd be quite happy and open about which church we come from. And if, if someone was interested in our church, we'd say, this is the name and this is the service times and here's the website. Come along. I'd love you to come. But with these guys, it's all quite strategic. So they want you to be friends and part of the whole community for maybe six months before they say, oh, by the way, we're a church, come along here. And even if you ask them out point blank, oh, what's the name of your church? They might not tell you. Like they might, because, you know, if they say Shinchonji and then you Google it, you're going to see all this bad information. So they're quite happy to be deceptive the way they see it. They're being deceptive for a greater cause, like for, for, for the good of the person, hmm. uh, for the good of the message that they're spreading. But it can be very deceptive. Uh, as time goes on, there's pressure to do more and more meetings, more and more information. And so they begin to subtly kind of uh, drive a bit of a wedge between you and your friendship, your other friends, between you and your family. Uh, some people have left uni or left their jobs just because the demands of the group become really overwhelming. Um, it, they might have a meeting in, in the end, it might be every night a week. And if there's for some reason that you can't make one of those meetings, they'll say, don't worry, we can do a makeup session the next day. So I was reading about some university student who just felt all the meetings were overwhelming. But then on the weekend, there'd be catch-up sessions, which could go for five hours at a time. Mm. Like it's mind-boggling. But for him, that had become his network of friends and he didn't want to disappoint. Uh, And later we'll talk about some of the features of cults in general. But one of them is that the gospel of grace is quickly lost. And it quickly becomes about works and performance. And so for this uni student I was reading about in Shincheonji, um, you know, the the, the things that indicated that you were going well spiritually was the number of meetings that you were doing and attending and learning and also the number of other people you were recruiting into the group. So it becomes a salvation by works. You know, the, 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 the works you need to do are attend all these meetings and to bring new people in. Uh, apparently, when you're really deep in Shincheonji, I was reading that they actually have an app where you need to record what you're doing and where you are physically 24 hours a day. Mm. So it becomes really terrifying, really, really over, you know, it's abusive and overwhelming and overburdening. But none of that at first. At first, it's just, hey, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, let's read the Bible together. Yeah. That is going to be a common thread of cults that we talk about today, isn't it? That Mm. they you get this slow process of more and more and more and more and 
kind of removal from friends and family and things outside of that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is there any... Are there any... So, they believe Jesus has come back already in the form of their leader. Yes. Um, they... Uh, are there any other kind of beliefs that we should be aware about in this particular Yeah. Way? So, they believe Jesus has already come back. I mean, and that, you know, for, for any Christian, that should immediately ring massive alarm bells, right? We, we are expecting Christ to come back. But when he comes back, it's going to be visible and the whole world's going to know and all these dramatic events are going to happen, final judgment and all the rest. It's, he's not going to come back secretly in North, South Korea and, you know, somehow you haven't heard about it. So, yeah, Lee Man He, they reckon, is Jesus returned. Uh, he is the only one who can correctly interpret the Bible, apparently. Mm. Uh, which that's going I, to become another thread of commonality between lots of cultures. That's right. Yes, that's right. That you can't really trust anybody else. We've got the truth and, and, and don't question it. This is the truth. You just need to kind of swallow it. Uh, another one is that, yeah, salvation is by works, particularly by bringing new people into the group. Uh, they also have a, a thread of teaching, which is the, the physical doesn't really matter, only the spiritual uh, and that should also set off alarm bells in our minds because mm. God has made us as human beings with body. You know, we need food, we need sleep, we need rest. There's no shame in that. That's how God's made us. But in this group, um, sleep and food and rest, these are not very important. And that's why, you know, they don't feel it's, uh, it's too much to ask you to be doing lengthy Bible studies yeah. every night of the week till the early hours of the morning because if you're tired and you want to go to bed, well, that just shows, you know, that you have not really tapped into the deeper, truer way where the spiritual matters and the physical doesn't. Uh, you know, Which this, is, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that basically Gnosticism at that point? Ah, uh, yeah, no, yes, so yes, that's right. Gnosticism is an early, well, collection of Christian cults from like the second and third century. Uh, and they believed, yes, they had secret extra knowledge given to them that was not in the Bible. And yes, also a, a huge focus on, um, on, the, on the spiritual higher truths mattering and what you do or don't do with your body is, is not important. Yeah. yeah, and Paul tackles that in one of the epistles, which I can't bring to mind right now. Uh, yeah, Paul and I think John, 1 John, um, will tackle elements of that. But as our New Testament was being finished, Gnosticism was still just kind of kicking into gear. So yeah. I think we kind of see the, the beginnings of the, of, of the critique of that. And then you need to read your early church fathers like Ignatius and other people to, to really see Christians saying, no, this is the gospel and this is a bunch of made-up nonsense. Yeah. yeah. All right, so that's Shinchoni. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the next one on our on our list is uh, Mother of God. Mother, Mother of God? Yeah. Um, this one I don't know so much about. Apparently the official name is now called the World Mission Society Church of God. That's a mouthful, yeah. isn't it? World Mission Society not Church of God. to be confused with the Church Missionary Society. Absolutely which is not. CMS, which is an excellent organization. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, Church Missionary Society is great. And that's... Another thread, right? No one's going to call their cultish group, you know, dodgy cult, are they? They're <laughs> going to they're going to try and have a name which sounds like it might be legitimate. Yeah. So this group, World Missionary Society Church of God, it's another one that's come out of uh, South Korea. I'm, 
someone else I'm sure could tell us the history there as to why South Korea at the moment seems to be a hotbed of new religious groups and cults. But anyway, uh, and this has gone through a number of different names across its history. At its center uh, are two South Koreans, a man and a woman. I'm sorry if you speak Korean. I'm probably going to say these names wrongly. Um, but uh, the guy was called An Song Hong, uh, who once again uh, was supposed to be Jesus Christ returned. Uh, strangely, he died in 1985. <laughs> so I'm not sure how you hold that together, that this guy is Jesus returned, but he's now died, mm. given that Jesus has defeated death. Like that, that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm sure in their system it somehow makes sense. Uh, he had a relationship with the woman, Zhang Gilja. And uh, so they were working together and she's, you know, even though he's dead, they still kind of revere him as, as Jesus or the Christ or sometimes the Holy Spirit as well. It's very confused. Um, and or sometimes he's called the Father God and she's called the Mother God. And so this is why if you, you might meet these guys because they might say, oh, you're Christian, you believe in God the Father, but do you believe in God the Mother? Something like that. And you might say, what? No, there's no God the Mother. And then they'll, oh, you're missing out. You, you don't know the truth, you know, and they'll go on to tell you uh, their teachings. Um, like a lot of these groups, uh, I guess that we didn't say this at the start, but the reason we might talk about a group being a sect or a cult rather than just a false religion is that all of these groups kind of sound Christian or read the Bible in some way. And that's why we talk to them differently than we might say about Buddhism or Islam. I guess Islam's debatable, but you know, Buddhism or Hinduism are clearly a completely different system with different scriptures. Uh, but this group as well would say that they're reading the Bible and they might say um, something like, uh, you know, they go to Revelation and they'd say, look, uh, here is the bride of Christ coming down out of heaven. Well, who's the bride of Christ? You think it's the church? No, it's not. This is the mother. This is the, there's, there's God the father and his bride, God the mother or something like that. So they've got some loose kind of Bible verses that they will try and show you and say, you know, you've been missing out. There's actually a mother God. Uh, and again, as, as is always the case with cults, if you are a strong Christian, well-taught, you know your scriptures, you'll have alarm bells going off and you'll think, no, this isn't right. Um, but if you're a new Christian or an investigator or you're kind of at the beginning of your journey or you're not, if I can say this in the nicest possible way, uh, it, it, spiritually speaking, if you're not that sharp, you're a little bit naive and a little bit too quick to accept things, uh, then you could get yourself in real trouble. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they, in my experience, at least with conversations, they tend to know the passages of scripture that back up what they want to say very well yes and kind of dance dance around between different bible passages in order to make their points which on the surface if you haven't actually studied the passage before can seem like what they're saying makes sense yes yeah that's right so um they've often been drilled and trained it, it's it's kind of it's a bit sinister really like they've been trained basically they've done a course which says something like here is how you rattle a Christian, you know, or he, here is how you, you know, here are the verses you should bring to the Christian who's not so well thought out and really kind of um, get them to doubt 
what they currently believe and to be open to something new. And the Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing uh, with the Trinity. You know, they're, they're trained to uh, not know the whole of the scriptures, but to know particular passages, particular verses, uh, to, to, to kind of unsettle you and, and make you feel un, unsure about what mm. you actually believe. And then as soon as you as the Christians start going to other passages, they're a little bit at sea. So they'll, they'll kind of keep trying to bring it back to their favorite passages. Mm. Yeah. So they believe that there's a God the Mother who is different to God the Father. Yes. That, that's one. Um, are there, is there any other kind of beliefs that are part of that cult? Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, they, again, they believe Jesus has already returned, but strangely yeah. died. I think they're, I think they're waiting for another return now, <laughs> like a second return since he's died. I don't know. It's very confusing. Um, strangely, they hold to all the feast days that you meet in the Old Testament. So yes. they're trying to celebrate. Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the First Fruits and all of those, Feast of Tabernacles and so on. And if you're, that one is, I particularly hit, a, hit upon, if you mm. don't keep the Sabbath, apparently, yes, that's, that's a salvation issue. Yes, um, that's right. And if you don't take the Passover, that's a salvation issue. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the refutation to that, is that, is that a word? I think that's a word. Refutation, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, is, if, uh, I found Ephesians 2 very helpful in this. You're saved not by works, but by grace. Mm -hmm. That's very clear. Mm. Uh, And then also parts in Colossians where it talks about new moons or festivals or Sabbath days Mm. and that kind of thing. You're not more sanctified or more holy because you keep those days or not. Uh, And so I found them helpful. And also when Jesus says, if you obey my commands, what is it, John 15, uh, then you abide in me and you're in my love. Mm And so, because they'll often go, well, Jesus says you have to keep the Sabbath in order to be saved. And he says, you've got to keep all my commands to be saved. Mm. What's going on there? Mm. And that's a really helpful thing because that kind of rattles the, we have to keep the Sabbath. But like, we can sin and we can lust and we can be angry and whatever, but we have to keep the Sabbath. And you're like, why, why is this command more yeah, significant? That's right. That helpful. And that's a good, you know, with, with heretical beliefs, there's often a gospel minus or a gospel plus. So gospel minus is where we've got the gospel, but a key element's been removed. Maybe judgment's been removed or sin's been removed. And then you've got gospel plus where you've got the gospel, but new requirements are being added. So yeah, you've got to trust in Jesus and keep the Sabbath. Well, hold on. Is Christ's death on the cross sufficient for my salvation? Or it does most of the work. And then I need to also do X, Y, Z. That that should be an alarm bell for us. Yeah, so these guys are into feast days, keeping the Sabbath. Uh, They say that uh, if you have like a cross on a chain around your neck or on your building, that that's an idol and that just shows you that your church is wrong. Um, Yeah, I'm sure they've got some other strange uh, beliefs as well, but that sounds like enough. (laughs) Yeah, excellent. So that's that one. And Mm. then we've got... The International Church of Christ. Yeah, tell me about this one. Yeah, ICOC. Yeah, you've been doing a bit of reading about this one. Yeah, this one's fascinating because it's a, its founder is called Kip McLean, um, who's from the US. And actually, I think originally they were part of the Churches of Christ in the US. And this is what makes this one really complicated mm-hmm. is because you do have Churches of Christ of Victoria and Tasmania. That's, the corp, that's kind of the association which they all affiliate with. Mm. The actual normal mainstream churches. Yes. 
But then you've got churches which are also called Church of Christ. Usually they're the city. So you've got Brisbane Church of Christ or Sydney Church of Christ or Melbourne Church of Christ that are part of an international churches of Christ. And this is a cult. Yes. Not to be confused with the, the, the York Street Church of Christ in Ballarat, for instance, right. or Berwick Church of Christ. Mm. This is what makes this complicated. Yeah, yeah. But it, it has a similar vibe where if you if you look on their website, look at the statement of faith, there's quite a few things that most Christians would say, yeah, we agree with that. Uh, reading between the lines, there's an, there's an assumption or a belief that baptism is where you receive the Spirit. So water, baptism, full immersion, water baptism is where you receive the Spirit. Mm. Um, and you have to be baptized in their church really to be saved. Yes. Um, and so... It's a similar vibe to the other ones in that they'll invite you to something and it'll slowly, you'll be slowly pulled in more and more and more and be separated more and more and more. They get to decide marriages, essentially. So there's that overbearing kind of. Yeah, it becomes very overbearing very quickly. Um, I haven't met people that have been particularly recruiting at Monash with that, but I do know that they have, they do recruit on university campuses. It seems like university is targeted particularly mm. for that. And in some ways, I want to say that's probably for a similar reason that CU exists um, because university is a time where a lot of students are making up their mind and they're researching things and they're suddenly free from the restraints often of family. They've moved away or various other things and they're suddenly having to wrestle with it themselves. And so AFES and CU exists um, to help Christians through that time. And we think that's a really, really vital time. Mm. But also, equally, I think cults see that as this is the prime time we can recruit. Uh, so, yes. International Churches of Christ, which has a bunch of other kind of little things associated with it. I think it's Disciples Worldwide or something like that. Okay. I can't quote this from memory. But there's about 600 churches worldwide. Uh, their founder is Kip McLean, again, who... They started, I think, in the American Church of Christ and then split right. and said, no, no, we're, we're going to be our own thing yep. uh, and become very controlling mm. over all your life kind of thing. Yeah, And I think if a church or, or a group start to say, and it's the same thing, they're very friendly, very like welcoming, and then they start putting more and more and more requirements mm. in your life. Uh, if they start to say you must be baptized in our church in full immersion thing, otherwise you don't have the spirit and you're not saved, mm. that should be an alarm bell Absolutely. I think, for us. Yeah. And that's up. maybe we'll talk about general warning signs in a sec, but you know, I mean that that idea that oh, you were baptized in in full at your church. Oh no, that's not good enough. You need to be baptized fully. But in our church, like that's a hallmark, isn't it? That an inability to recognize any other Christian group as legitimate. Yeah. That, that we're the only ones who do it right. I think that's a big part of, well, let, let's move to that. Let's talk about some general cults. Uh, what, are, what are things that are identifiable in cults? We've already talked about at least one, which is they have usually one authoritative interpreter of scripture. Yes. So that's often their leader or for JWs, that's, uh, the Watchtower. Joseph. Uh, someone. Uh, Joseph Smith. I think he's Mormon. I think he's the Mormon founder. Uh, yes, you're right. No, there is. There's. I've been chatting with JWs before. There is someone mm. who okay. they kind of like one commentary that they'll use because it's by one guy. Right. This is considered okay. kind of authoritative. Uh, 
Um, that's a common thing. Uh, and we've also talked about the fact that they kind of slowly and surely break you off from the support of friends or family, which also is breaking you off from anyone that might really disagree and yeah. pull you back yeah. from being more and more invested in this cult. Yes. Um, so I, I read a story, uh, quite a horrific story of someone being wrapped into, this is the International Church of Christ. Mm. And the, the only way that they got out was their parents invited them away for a weekend as a family, family weekend, which this person went going, I'm going to recruit my family. The same, same thing with the International Church of Christ. They have to, they have to hit recruitment numbers. Mm. That's the like... Yeah. It's the key thing to so. kind of move up in the church. Mm. Um, and they had someone come on that weekend who had, I think they're called a cult counselor or something like that, who came with the family on this weekend uh, and basically spent the whole weekend just talking to this person about it and pointing out flaws and stuff. But it took uh, like a whole weekend wow. of that to break them out of the cult. That's so sad. Um, yeah. And I, I want to do touch on briefly towards the end, like how, how can we... Uh, help people in cults or what if you're in a cult right now and you're listening to this Mm -hmm. Uh, but first so we've talked about one leader breaking off connection Uh, we've talked about special knowledge which kind of comes into that authoritative thing are there any other uh, yeah we briefly mentioned whether they're able to acknowledge that any other group is is okay right so i mean i go to a Baptist church, and I love my church. But if you ask me about, well, what about the Anglicans and the Presbyterians? You know, yeah. we're happy to acknowledge that no, there are lots of good churches out there. Um, and we sit on a staff team for the, with a bunch of other people from different churches. Yeah, that's right. And so I think if you find yourself in a group that's basically saying no one else has got it right except for us, that should ring huge alarm bells. Um, I think. Uh, or that won't let you to go to interdenominational kind of gatherings or that kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. And that overbearingness of them wanting to control your life to a crazy degree where, you know, you have to run major purchases by your, your spiritual superiors or, yeah, you need to get permission before you date or marry someone from your, 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 your group leaders um, or, yeah, that apps demanding to know you know where you are and how much time you're spending and who you're seeing i mean that that's really abusive that's that's awful like that's the sort of stuff where criminal charges could probably be laid but it's the stuff that uh is commonplace in these groups and it would be explained as well we just want to shepherd you well and and you know we're more mature you're less mature we want to make sure you're doing the right thing so it's all pretty insidious and some of us have a a natural inclination to actually want more rules and more routine and like discipline kind of thing mm. as well. Yes. Um, so for some people, that's very natural to mm. want that. Yeah. Um, but it become can become very problematic very quickly. Yeah. And in, in terms of belief, um, uh, we had an apprentice here a couple of years ago called uh, Andy and he had three questions that he asks when he hears about a new group that he hasn't heard of before and I thought they were helpful. Mm. Um, what do they say about the Bible? What do they say about Jesus? And what do they say about salvation? Yeah. Because often these groups will say, oh, the Bible's good, but you also need to read this other writing from our prophet or whoever. Uh, often Jesus being divine is left behind. Mm. Maybe he's a prophet or 
you know, a, a great leader or a small G God, but he's not God himself. And salvation. Or he like, might be some sort of spiritual being, but he's not God like yeah. Father God or whatever they, they whatever term they use. That's right, yeah. yeah. It's not Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the yeah, no, as God. No. And what do they believe about salvation? Um, you know, one of the most beautiful things about Christianity is that we're saved by grace and our groups should be, and our churches should be places of grace. And these things very quickly become pressurized, you know, kind of hot houses of works. Yeah. 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 That's really helpful, I think, just thinking through those three questions. So what does it say about the Bible? What does it say about Jesus? And what does it say about salvation? And and particularly salvation by grace alone, through Jesus alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, they that will often bring out at, at least some things that should cause us our ears to prick up and red flags to go off. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I want to wrap it back and finish up with uh, maybe... Um, Let's think about a few different people that interact with cults. Okay. So the first is a student on campus, someone that's listening to this, a CU student that comes across a cult um, and the cult is chaining them in, and inviting them to things and this kind of thing. Mm. What would your advice be to a student who maybe is gung-ho for the faith, amazing, and so is like, I'm going to go in and convert all of these cult members? What would your advice be to that? <laughs> yeah, I, I would sound a note of caution, I think. Um, when we talked about these cults at Focus, I, my advice basically was don't have any contact and just keep your distance. Uh, I mean, it's true that someone has to share the gospel with these guys and they are lost. So I get that. If you're that gung-ho student, you're thinking, no, I'm going to go in, I'm going to help them all. Um, I I, I love that idea, but the fact is, particularly if you're going to their meetings and things, yeah. I mean, you're just going to be completely outnumbered and overwhelmed and um, you're kind of trying to, I mean, imagine if someone came into our church Sunday gathering and tried to evangelize us there, like, good luck, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, I think um, someone told me once that, you know, the Jehovah's Witness who knocks on your door and they're actually doing mission, doing evangelism right that second, very hard to have a productive conversation with them. But say later on, you happen to be neighbors with a family who is Jehovah's Witnesses and they're not on mission. They're not knocking on your door. They're just doing life. Uh, I mean, befriending that family and over time trying to have relationships where you can share why you're not a Jehovah's Witness, why you mm. are sticking to Christianity, that's like much more likely to be fruitful. So Maybe there's a context somewhere where you can have like an ongoing relationship with just a friend, not like the whole institution, and, and be carefully sharing your faith. But I'd be really cautious. I would certainly talk, mention that this is going on to your staff worker and some close friends that you trust and your pastor at church um, because um, it, it just is a dangerous situation um, and you need to be super careful. Uh, yeah, so that would be my advice for that one. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, particularly the idea of well, we, we're still going to do what we normally do, right? We do relational evangelism, we befriend people and as part of that friendship, part of seeking to love that person well, we share what we think is most important, which is the gospel of grace found in Christ. Mm. Um, but we don't try and 
go up against it all, the whole institution at yeah, the main meeting or something. Yeah, I think that's dangerous. And sadly, this is really sad, but I think if you had that friend who was in a cult, um, I would, pr- and, we, and the conversations were going well, I would do that one-to-one. Yeah. Because your instinct might be come along to see you and hear the truth or come along to my church and hear the Bible taught well. But you need to be really careful there because you might be inviting a recruiter into your church and they might say, you know, oh, I'm really questioning it all. Yeah, I'd love to come along and hear some more. But actually in their head, they're thinking this is great. I'm invited in the front door and now I can start to chat to all of his friends so one-to-one uh, would be the best yep. and, and be very cautious about bringing them in. Unless you're really sure that they've left, um, be very careful about inviting them into bigger groups. Okay. And we're going to, in the rapid time that is currently shrinking that we need to get done, uh, let's think about the, the person who's caught up in a cult. They don't realize it's a cult. Maybe as they're listening to this, they go, you know what? I think, I think I'm actually part of a cult. Um, that which is heartbreaking. Yes. Um, yeah. it's, and it's not easy to get out of cults. What, what advice can we give them? What? Yeah. Because they, they hear and they go, oh, yeah, actually, yes, salvation by grace, that sounds amazing because mm. I feel like I'm worked to the bone to try and earn my salvation. Yeah. I, I want this. Mm. But this is where my friends are. This is where my support yeah. is. Yeah. Um, this is all I've known. What, what advice yeah, can we give Yeah, that's really hard. Um, first thing I'd say is if you're wondering, am I in some sort of cult group? Um, do your own research. Now, maybe you've been told, don't Google, don't search around, don't listen to what other people are saying because they're, they're not teaching you the truth. They're voices of the devil. But look, the truth will win out. The truth has nothing to fear from falsehood. Like you can put the truth and falsehood next to each other and the truth will win. So any group that's saying don't read, don't listen, that's an alarm bell right there. Um, go and do some research and, and, and look at it with a fresh, you know, kind of a fresh perspective as much as you can and ask yourself, you know, have I been a little bit brainwashed here? That's a terrifying thought. But better to realize it now and get out if you can. Hard to get out because, yeah, one, maybe all your relationships are actually in the group now. Maybe some of your old friendships and family relationships are not going well because they were kind of been mm. damaged. That can be really hard. But all I can say is, you know what? Real friends, real family, they will just be so overjoyed if you get out of that group. And it may take time and there may be tears and there may be apologies and stuff that need to happen. But, you know, it, it really is possible. You can get out and find new, more healthy relationships. Yeah. And also hard to get out because that group's probably not going to let you go easily. And they're going to say, wait, 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 let's catch up one more time. Hey, we're going to come around to your house. Oh, there's been some kind of misunderstanding. You, oh, you thought it was too overbearing. Fine. We'll, you know, we'll prune it back a bit. Just don't leave. And so, and because these are people you've got a relationship with, you might feel like, oh, I owe them an apology. I owe them an explanation. I probably should sit down to them. Or maybe you're even thinking, oh, I'm going to show them the truth. I'm going to try and get them out. But again, all that's super, just going to make it so hard to leave. I think in the first instance, if you think you're really in a cult and you need to get out, get out and make a clean break of it. You know, block those people on your phone and your social media and whatever. Delete those contacts and, and just make a clean break of it. You need help. You need time to heal and grow. And maybe somewhere down the track, there might be a time to go back and, and talk to friends. But in the first instance, 
um, I, I just don't think you're in a position to be doing all that good work yet. Yeah. And what we might do is we might put a couple of resources in the show notes or the episode notes um, of uh, groups or um, resources that can be helpful if you do want to make that that clean break. Um, what I also want to say is church family, When if you come out of a cult and back into a church, it's, it's going to be hard. That transition is going to be hard. You're not going to find necessarily the same kind of intense level of discipleship mm. and friendship yes. you're in, but you'll still find friends. There will still be support. There, it's, it's not going to be kind of like, oh, I'm cut loose and I've got nothing left. Yep. Dan, to wrap us up, would you like to pray as we close up our I will. Our session? Yeah, sure. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you speak the truth to us in your word, the Bible. And we thank you that at the heart of that word is the gospel by which we're saved. And um, Lord, you also warn us in the Bible that there are false prophets, that there are false teachers. There are people that twist your good truth for their own ends, whether that's money or sex or power over other people's lives. And we wish it wasn't the case, but it is. It, ha- it has been since Old Testament times until now. And so... Um, we, I guess I thank you for good teaching that's out there. I thank you for the internet, that we can Google a lot of these things and find really thought-out responses really quickly. And still, Lord, though, um, the, the cults are, are growing. And so we pray that you will make their expansion less effective. We pray for people in our circles, our family, our friends, see you friends, church friends, that you'll help us to know our Bibles well and for those alarm bells to go off when we hear something that doesn't sound right. And Lord, we pray for everybody right now who is caught up in a cult and may not even know it, or perhaps they have misgivings but can't imagine how they would ever leave. And we ask for your special grace to be given to them for courage, strength, clear thinking, And we pray that when they take those first faltering steps to leave, that there will be good friends, good family there, ready to to pick them up and walk with them as they recover and heal. Um, Please, Lord, help your church to speak the truth clearly and to confront error. And we pray above all that the true gospel will grow and spread and bring many to eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.